Welcome to Here We Stand. Welcome to the dawn of the year 2023. It's January 1st, and I'm your host, Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Voice. You're listening to the Voice of the Resistance and the Sovereign Republic of Canada, which, like this program, was launched eight years ago this month. Well, to commemorate this, our next two shows on January 8th and 15th will focus on the details of our new republic, the vision, the principles, the program of the Republic of Canada, and how we're building it on the ground. 
our specific projects and campaigns, our defeats and victories, lessons we've learned, and what lies ahead. January 15th, of course, is the 8th anniversary of the convention in Winnipeg that established the Republic and its constitutional framework. So, of course, on that day, we'll have our usual flag raisings and reclamations all over Canada. So keep listening for more of that on these upcoming shows, and also, of course, by going to our website, Republic of Kanata, K-A-N-A-T-A, republicofkanata.org, under breaking news. Well, you know, folks, on a personal note, this year means a lot to me, because it marks the 50th anniversary of my inauguration into the pantheon of officially condemned shit disturbers. That's right. When I was just 17 in the summer of 1973, me and two of my friends were publicly named and attacked in the editorial columns of the Vancouver Sun and Province. Newspapers, those bastions of the establishment. Why were we attacked? Well, we had the temerity to organize our fellow high school students into a union and to fight for a Bill of Rights for young people, something that still hasn't been won, which tells you a lot. And so to the shock and concern of my parents, but not really to me, I experienced for the first time late-night death threats over the phone, visits by the RCMP, threats of lawsuits and arrests, and sundry other intimidations designed to get yours truly to back down, which I didn't do, of course. And over the subsequent decades, I graduated to even bigger campaigns to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And so goes to show you, folks, how impotent the so-called authorities really are. They're mostly lots of threatening talk and little else, because usually they know they're in the wrong, and they're not even lawful about it. Well, we've learned that fact over and over, especially over the past quarter century, when we've exposed and confronted this murderous three-headed beast of church, state, and big money, the thing that's responsible for centuries of genocide, child murder, and tyranny. We've taken on this beast, first in Canada and then around the world, including at the Vatican and Rome, which is the source of so much of the present crime. Because it was there 10 years ago, on February the 11th, 2013, that we forced from office Pope Benedict, Joseph Ratzinger, as part of our first international common law court of justice trial. And now Joe the Rat has passed on to wherever it is that unrepentant child killers go. Well, to make it real, here's what lies beneath it all, and this was told to me by a native man, Jasper Joseph, in Vancouver in the spring of 2002. Jasper said, I was on the burial detail at the Kamloops Residential School. This one little boy named Kenny got beaten and raped really bad. The priest even used the electric cattle prod on him. He wasn't moving, but you couldn't tell if he was dead or not. Brother McDonald told us to go and bury him anyway. I felt bad about that boy named Kenny, and I couldn't sleep that night, so I crept out behind the school to where we had buried him. What I saw made me sick. One of Kenny's arms was sticking out of the ground. He must have tried digging it his way out, but he didn't make it. Well, I want you all to hold that image in your heart of Kenny's outstretched arm reaching out from beneath the earth reaching out to us even in death, because we fight for a world where one day Kenny's name will be remembered and not that of Joseph Ratzinger. We have to fight for that new world all the time, not as a hobby or a part-time occupation, but realizing that now it's become the reason for our life, because so much and so many depend on it. That and that alone is the kind of devotion that makes history and that changes history. And so today we're going to be looking at that history, a history of our struggle and persistence, and look ahead at how we hope to apply our hard-won lessons to the battles of today. 
And so it's fitting that we celebrate the recent death of Joseph Ratzinger, because for the past decade, that creep has been under a self-imposed house arrest at the Vatican because of the standing arrest warrant issued against him by your International Common Law Court of Justice when he was convicted in February 2013. Ratzinger's death, to me, is a symbol of the growing collapse of this three-headed beast and the thing that governs it under the weight of its own evil and corruption. But it's also a sign of the power that works through even a few of us who have pure hearts, clear minds, and unbending wills, and who allow the divine law and justice to work through us. Well, this program exists not just to inspire and educate you in this way, but to prepare for the battles to come by mobilizing and organizing all of you to bring down this system that's striking now at all of us. We're actively doing that across Canada and in the nine other countries in our Republic Alliance movement. We're establishing local common law republic assemblies and courts that reclaim the nations and their wealth for all of the people. We know that all of us as free men and women are now engaged in a great civil war against a global corporatocracy led by China and funded by its partner in crime, the Vatican. A corporatocracy that owns the puppet politicians and judges who have imposed the COVID tyranny on humanity. Well, now it's true that there's been widespread resistance to that tyranny across the world. Very grassroots resistance, but it's been sporadic. It's divided, and unfortunately, it's split into rival bickering factions. But even worse, that resistance movement has operated with a blindfold on. It's forgotten the basic requirement of war, that one must know the real nature of our enemy to defeat it. And that knowledge isn't gained by talking, by discussions, or by internet calls. It's gained only by active, continual engagement with an enemy. By fighting that enemy on the ground and learning its real strengths and weaknesses, like I did when I was 17, and also from the blows we receive from it. The more we endure in this, the stronger and more knowledgeable we become. We become seasoned veterans who can lead other people. And that's why we always encourage people to go beyond merely defensive responses, like holding a protest in response to something the bad guys did, or circulating a petition. None of that changes anything. We say instead, go on the offensive. Take back the properties and wealth of these criminal institutions, like the big pharma companies and the churches that have been proven to kill children routinely in their drug testing experiments and have been lawfully convicted and sentenced for their crimes. Just go to murderbydecree.com under ITCCS updates to January 15th of last year, January 15th, 2022. You'll see that case in its entirety against big pharma and these genocidal churches, and you'll see the warrants that authorize you to make the arrests, the reclamations, as we've described at republicofcanada.org. But to succeed and endure, these actions we're talking about, they've got to be led by people of courage, people whose outrage and resolve outweigh their fears. People like my friend Georgina Cameron, who I know is listening right now. Hi, Georgina. Who lives down in Wollongong, Australia. She's part of our Republic Alliance movement. And although she's in her late 60s and is on crutches, on December 21st, Georgina single-handedly entered the Catholic Church in Wollongong and personally confronted the Catholic bishop in his service about their child trafficking and murder. The policy of criminalis satanus that requires that all Catholics cover up the death and torture of children. She confronted them with that, and she was set upon by four church goons, but she stood her ground. And soon, she and others inspired by her courage are going to continue these actions. These are the things that reverberate and have caused such change. 
those kind of grassroots direct actions. Because our similar church occupations in Canada forced out the truth of the residential school death camps between 1998 and 2008, and it created the International Tribunal of Crimes of Church and State, and its common law court that forced Ratzinger out of office. And so we've learned that courageous action, even by a few of us, at the right moment in the right place, can move mountains. We've proved it by striking where the enemy is weak and vulnerable, like in their boardrooms, in their church services, at the source of their wealth. We've proven in practice that such a strategy works. So today I want to begin by remembering those moments of our victories, how they came about, how they're helping us to persist and turn the tables on the criminals today. Because it's like the philosopher Aristotle observed, and I love this quote, not to have knowledge of what happened before you were born is to be condemned to live forever as a child or maybe someone in a state of amnesia. So in that purpose, we've named the coming month, February 2023, as Genocide Act of Remembrance Month. Because in February are many important anniversaries of our movement. We're going to be holding teach-ins, sit-ins, rallies, and seizure of properties and lands throughout February and beyond throughout the year, of course. Here's a little bit of an, inter- uh, an overview. February the 1st, in 1996, that was the first lawsuit ever brought against the Indian Residential School death camp operators, the Churches and Governments of Canada, the Catholic, Anglican, United Church of Canada. That first lawsuit had been sparked by our December 1995 protests at the United Church and other churches. February 9th, 1998, was the first public forum in Vancouver ever, and anywhere in Canada, the first public forum about residential school crimes at the Simon Fraser University Downtown Harbor Center. And out of that February 9th forum came the first international tribunal into residential school crimes, which sparked this whole movement, June 12th to 14th in, in Vancouver, that I helped organize with a few other Native people, put the whole issue for the first time on the media and international spotlight. February 11th, of course, as we've just talked about, was the day that Ratzinger was forced from office. And February 26th, of course, in 2011, is when we commemorate the medical murder of William Coombs at St. Paul's Hospital, right there in downtown Vancouver, after he went public about witnessing the abduction of 10 children who disappeared forever at the hands of Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip, and now, as it turns out, the present so-called King of England, Charles Mountbatten-Windsor, who is also now under indictment and court order to appear. All of those dates in February we're remembering actively, and... So I urge you to stand by at murderbydecree.com under ITCCS updates, republicofcanada.org under breaking news for the full list of all of these things. That's going to include throughout the year things like sit-ins at government offices where we demand the nullification of tax exemptions and the licensing of these genocidal churches. The Nunavut Town Council in, in uh, the northern part of Canada has already done that. They nullified all the tax exemptions for the Catholic Church. That got them in a panic. I don't think it's an accident that soon after that so-called Pope Francis Bergoglio admitted to genocide because he knew the heat was on. It's going to include saying to the town councillors and the people on the city councils where you live, you will not be elected again if you do not nullify the taxes of these genocidal churches. Why should we pay? for these churches to continue to traffic and murder children. It's a crime against the law and humanity to do that. We're going to do civil disobedience on occupations of churches and offices and big pharma. 
And we've already started a pledge campaign to get people to withhold funds from these churches and the government of Canada as a colluding actor in genocide. We'll have, of course, our usual teach-ins on religious genocide and its corporate connection. And for all of that, you can write to us for more information to get involved in your communities, not only in Canada, but all over the world. Write to Republic National Council at protonmail.com. Write to the tribunal, ITCCS office at gmail.com. And, of course, listen in here every Sunday on the BBS network at this time for more updates and ways you can organize actively. Another thing we say to people is the best way to prepare, even if starting an assembly of 12 or more people doesn't work right away, there's two or three of you who can form a cell group. You start operating in small, effective ways because we're a guerrilla movement in a police state. We have to operate that way. Organize the cell groups and build from the cell groups to form assemblies. I remember Napoleon once said, in battle, a bad general is the one who sees too many things. I see only the main body of the enemy. And I think we have to remember that. When we're in the midst of these battles, we see many things, especially if our eyes are glued on the Internet all the time. We see only the bad garbage that the enemy wants us to see. We think there's all these issues we've got to be involved in. All that does is dissipate our strength. Know the main enemy and focus and don't let your grip go uh, or your attention go from focusing on the enemy that we've talked about. The spearhead of the corporatocracy in the world today is China and funded by the Vatican. You press the button against the, the Catholic Church, and you achieve a much greater result than your numbers, as we've proven in practice. China is ideologically and financially propped up by the Vatican Bank. Bergoglio, the present so-called Pope, signed a deal in Prince George last summer in July, underwriting the, the uh, China takeover of North America and grabbing its resources by over $1 trillion. That's happening consistently vatican funding of this expansion all over the world so we know who the enemy is we know strategically we have to focus on them that's our strategic priority we have to break away from our our tendency to think habitually which and makes us think well what can i do in the moment what am i used to thinking which is you hold a protest and go away and things will be fixed no that doesn't work uh, and we're going to prepare people for that so like i say write to republic national council at protonmail.com and you can be involved in this um I'm sorry, hold on. Republic National Council. Yes. ProtonMail.com. Now, I'm going to rest my voice, and we're going to listen to something which helps us to prepare for this fight. It's essential knowledge you need to know about the nature of the Vatican and the Church of Rome. Uh, It came from a lecture I was to do in Oxford University, the oldest uh, debating society in the world. They invited me to debate a official of the Catholic Church, about on the topic, is there any good in the Roman Catholic Church, which I found an amusing topic. Um, but two weeks before we were to do that, it got canceled. But this contains really important knowledge you need to hear, both politically, personally, spiritually. So after that, this 20-minute clip, I'll be back to talk about more. And enjoy. Good evening, I'm Kevin Annett, and tonight I'm going to give you a lecture that I was to present to the Oxford Union, which is the oldest debating society in the world. In April 2016, I was invited to come there in Oxford University in England and debate a cleric of the Catholic Church over the issue. Uh, Funnily enough, the topic was, is there any good in the Roman Catholic Church? 
Well, as so often happens on these occasions, the invitation to me was unexplainably withdrawn about two weeks before the event, and the debate between me and him never happened. So I thought it would be good to post online for the world to see exactly what I was going to say that night. Good evening. Let me begin by saying what a pleasant surprise it is to be able to join you all here tonight. The last time I tried to give a public talk in England, at a London rally to protest child trafficking by church and state, your privately run UK border agency saw fit to arrest, fingerprint, jail me, and then finally deport me from your country without giving a reason at all. So be that as it may, and it usually is, I especially want to thank you for having me here tonight, having the courage to have me here tonight. Tonight's topic for debate is framed rather tellingly. Is there any good in the Roman Catholic Church? And assumingly by that is meant its holding company, the Vatican Incorporated. While the very wording of the subject is interesting because it implies that no, there isn't any good at all, let's search for some. Of course, trying to locate integrity in a corporation is like looking for love in a brothel. So perhaps the question of tonight's debate's already been answered. My job's done, we can all go home. In any event, the title of the main event tonight is a bit confusing, beginning with the term good, which is, after all, a completely relative and morally ambiguous term. The Spanish conquistadors and their slaughter-blessing Catholic priests thought that they were doing good when they wiped out millions of non-Catholic people for their own good. The Vatican's Inquisition that barbecued and tortured to death Christians who disagreed with Rome was officially entitled an auto de fe, which means act of faith. Even the present so-called liberal Pope Francis, Jorge Bagaglio, speaks of the goodness and zeal of the Franciscan missionaries who worked to death thousands of Aboriginal men, women, and children on Catholic slave plantations in California. Well, some things never change. Bergoglio also recently pardoned some 10,000 of his own child-raping priests, no doubt in the same spirit of doing good, at least good for his own institution. Human beings, especially when goaded on and justified by religion, always adorn their crimes in a halo of goodness. I've had personal experience of what I speak about. For over 20 years in Canada, I've lived and worked and documented the, alongside these folks who have lived through the story, the reality of genocide in Canada, perpetrated mostly by Catholic-run Indian residential schools, where over 60,000 children died. Half of these children never came back because of, at the hands of the priests and nuns, they were ritually tortured, routinely starved, trafficked, experimented upon, flogged, gang-raped, and killed en masse with smallpox and tuberculosis. Not one Catholic priest has ever gone to trial for any of these crimes, nor will they. These killers are above the law as it stands now. And having had the misfortune of speaking with enough of these scum, I know that these complicit clergy are still convinced that they were only trying to do good to the little brown savages by killing their bodies to save their souls, to quote their buddy Thomas Aquinas, one of the founding theologians of the Catholic Church. So perhaps what we need to do is redefine the term good in a better way. Using this simple definition, to do good means to do no harm to others and to let them be themselves. Of course, under that definition, you immediately disqualify the, and condemn the Roman Catholic Church, which has killed more people than any institution in human history. The Church of Rome's body count is well over 50 million corpses, 
ever since it was made a legal corporation by the Emperor Constantine in the year 317. All right, all right, that may all be true, sputtered the defenders of Rome. So nobody's perfect. But look at all the charitable works the church does all the time. Isn't that good? Well, in that sense, perhaps tonight's topic for debate should have been entitled instead, Was There Any Good in Pablo Escobar, the head of the criminal syndicate known as the Medellin Drug Cartel? Because Pablo engaged in lots of charitable good works for the poor folks of Colombia. Just like the Roman Catholic Church, of which he was a dues-paying member, Pablo used his ill-gotten loot to build shelters for the homeless, playgrounds for some slum kids, and soup kitchens for the hungry. Of course, that charitable money was covered in blood and paid for by the early deaths from drug addiction of the very same people he was helping, but still, he was doing some good, wasn't he? Now, my analogy between Pablo Escobar and the Vatican is more than fitting, since not only are they members of the same club, but also the Vatican Bank is heavily invested in the international drug cartels, as well as the arms and human trafficking industries that go along with it. GMO companies, Big Pharma, the biggest small arms company in the world, Beretta Limited, even dozens of online internet porn companies, all of these 100% Vatican investments pay for the goodies doled out to those deserving poor people who kiss the claw that feeds them. But let's take on directly the suggestion that the Roman Catholic Church, as the world's richest and least accountable corporation, plays a major role in providing charitable sustenance to the world's needy. Let's ask, what percentage of the church's annual revenue actually goes towards charitable works? Well, it's an important question, not only for the debate tonight, but because the only legal basis for the church to be exempt from paying taxes under the law of nations is that they must devote all, not some, but all, of their collected revenue for either the advancement of religion or charitable works. Well, right there, you cannot go to the Roman Catholic Church unless someone wants to explain what money laundering for the mafia, buying cruise missiles for third world dictators, or issuing routine bribes to politicians and governments all over the world have to do with either religion or charity. What percentage of the Catholic Church's revenue goes towards charity? Actually, less than 1% at least in America. For, tellingly, that's the only country in the world where the Church consistently publishes any of its financial records. After all, the Vatican is a closed, self-governing, totally unaccountable body, like any secret criminal society. But that inconvenient, lingering notion of a separation of Church and State found in the American Constitution requires that even the Catholic Church has to create an appearance of transparency. And so, according to the U.S. government, in the year 2013, the Roman Catholic Church in America had a net revenue of $13.4 billion. And that's just in one country, where only about 15% of the world's Catholics live. Per projection, the annual income of the Vatican must be in the hundreds of billions of dollars, not just from all those collection plates from those saps, from its, but also from its massive global investment portfolio and its secret financial concordat agreements with over 100 governments, that channel a regular percentage of your tax money into the Vatican Bank and all of its criminal behavior. But coming back to America, the one country where a light is shone on the murky underworld of Vatican finances, according to the same self-audit of the Catholic Church, of the $13.4 billion raked in during 2013, only 1.1% of it went to charity. But since half of that amount came from government grants to Catholic aid societies, in reality, a whopping 0.6% of the income 
went from the bank accounts into charities. But since those charities are mostly owned and operated by the church itself, it just means that one hand of the octopus is feeding the other. Quite brilliant, don't you think? One half of 1%, friends. The truth is that the Roman Catholic Church is not a force for charitable works. Just look at the books. It's, in fact, a huge criminal racket, a money-sucking corporation that kept afloat by every taxpayer in the world. Okay, so let's turn to the other basis for the church not paying a dime of taxes, the advancement of religion. What percentage of its time and money goes towards advancing its particular, and I might say extremely violent, religious creed? Less than 10%. That's the time each week a priest spends conducting prayers, masses, or catechism classes, according to the church itself, according to a statement from the Vatican's governing College of Cardinals, who in 2014 issued an internal report concerning the training and ordination of its priests. The main job of the clergy, according to the cardinals, is the material and social upkeep of the church, guarding the building, the safeguard of its traditions and operations, and the expansion of its income and membership. Like in any big corporation, somebody somewhere tell me where God, let alone Jesus Christ, enters into that whole mess. Okay, strike two. In case you didn't know, that's a baseball term. I don't play cricket. The third and final strike against the Roman Catholic Church, and you've got to watch out that for that term because the word Catholic means universal, which it does not. The final strike against the Catholic Church lies in its real and not imagined nature. Once its enormous pretense and lie is pulled back and we see it for what it is historically and today. But to do so and to pierce the mental fog surrounding the Vatican Incorporated, we have to realize that the papacy is not a Christian church at all. On the contrary, it is in every respect a cult of emperor worship derived from late 3rd century Rome, not from the historic Jesus, not even from the early Christian church. This fact is crucial if we are to deal with the mental confusion of many people, atheists included, who ponder helplessly, But how can a body that preaches about the love of Jesus cause mass murder, genocide, and institutionalized child rape? Of course, the simple answer to that is that it's always the worst child rapist in town who has the most sterling reputation. The latter is needed as a cloak by any crook. The bigger the felony, the sweeter the coating. Talk, my friends, is easy, especially from a pulpit. But let's not forget what Jesus himself warned, quote, Many false prophets will come in my name and say, I am the Christ. But do not be fooled. By their works, you shall know them. Bingo. By their works, you shall know them. Well, we can see the works of the papacy all too well. Conquest, brutality, just wars, genocide, inquisition, and the crushing of the human spirit. And it all began when the Roman emperors Aurelian and Constantine created the Roman Catholic Church on the murdered bones of the early Christian church. The church was an extension and continuation of that other big killing machine called the Roman Empire. Proof of this, you don't have to look any further than the Pope's official title, which is Pontifex Maximus, which in Latin means the Great Bridge, between guess where? Heaven and Earth. That was the Latin title of the emperors of Rome, starting with Aurelian in the year 275, who also assumed the title Dies et Dominus, means God and Master. One man who's become God. Well, first that was the emperor, but now today to a Catholic, it's the Pope. Christ is no longer the link to God, but a man is. Elected and elevated blasphemously over humanity, even over God, by other old men in funny hats. 
Well, not surprisingly, every newly elected pope is also given the title Vicari Christi, which is even more blatant. In Latin, it means the replacement of Christ, the one who replaces Christ. In black and white, it's right there. Catholicism, papism, is the replacement of Christianity, an empire of conquest and wealth relying on the means of the world and not the way of Christ. Just look at the body count. And listen to these admissions of guilt right from the horse's mouth, or I should say ass, statements from various popes down the centuries that have never been contradicted or repudiated by any of their successors. Pope Boniface in 1302, we declare it is necessary for every human creature to be subject to the Roman pontiff. Pope Leo in 1520, the Pope is Christ himself on earth. Pope Pius in 1929, Fascism is simply the doctrines of our faith made the law and government. Pope John in 1962. No man may enter into Christ unless he be led there by the sovereign pontiff. Pope John Paul in 1996. Have no fear when men call me Christ on earth, for I am he. Pope Benedict in 2008. You need not go to Christ for salvation. Come to me. Pope Francis in 2016, Christ made himself sin, made himself the devil. That's new. For our salvation, only the church and its magisterium can claim holy infallibility. Have you had enough? I know I have. Well, is it any wonder that such a power-obsessed, megalomaniac religion makes itself unaccountable, sees nothing with its crimes, and uses the image and words of Christ himself to delude and soak its millions of dupe followers to believe that a bit of a communion wafer or a papal blessing or the right amount of cash delivered into church coffers will buy their way into heaven, as if one can. Well, unfortunately, I saw it for myself when I was last in Rome in 2011. Right there in the Vatican Museum, a display board for buying indulgences, just like out of Martin Luther's day. Special papal blessings cost you only 150 euros. The more you spend, the closer you get to heaven. Although, be warned, apparently, according to the sign, apparently God prefers credit cards to cash. How right when Pope Leo in 1520 said, This myth of Christ has served us well. Well, the most dangerous group in the world is a super wealthy cult that sees itself as God, superior to everyone, and therefore justified in doing whatever is needed to protect itself and rule the world. A cult, in other words, like the Church of Rome. What other, what other being than a cult can operate according to a criminal policy like Crimin Solicitanus, which has been binding on all Catholics since the year 1929? That policy states that whenever a child is raped or otherwise harmed by a priest, the police are not to be told, the victim is to be silenced, and if anyone speaks of this, they are excommunicated, thrown into hell for snitching on a rapist. Clearly, the god of Rome, like the Mafia, cannot tolerate a snitch. Better instead to operate under a global criminal conspiracy to aid and abet child rapists and killers than to cost the church a lawsuit or save a child's life. Heaven forbid. And yet, despite all of this criminal arrangement, the world keeps wondering why there's so much child rape within the Church of Rome. Are we all that blind? Do we really think a lion isn't going to eat a gazelle? Well, John Acton, a British politician, said, Absolute power corrupts absolutely. He was referring to the Church of Rome when he made that statement, something conveniently left out of the history books. The Church of Rome is absolutely corrupt. 
but it also corrupts whoever is near to it, like all who attend it, who fund it, who associate with it, or rent its halls, or smile on its policies, or look the other way at all its public relations gestures. All who do so partake in that corruption. And under the law of God and mankind, those human accessories are equally guilty of all its crimes. The only good that can be said to come out of this most violent, corrupt, and anti-Christ body in history is how its evil awakens people to the need for a return to the simple words, witness, and spirit of Jesus himself, a spirit that has always been the chief adversary of the Church of Rome. Jesus founded a community of called-out people, a remnant not of this world, a congregation, not a church. Nowhere did Jesus speak of popes, of bishops, of rituals and ceremonies by which someone would mediate him and God to others. He said that the kingdom of heaven lay inside each of us, not outside in a communion wafer or a religious ritual. That inner kingdom of Christ alone is the guide of all true Christians, who must come out from and be separate from all these vile, false and violent churches that deny God in practice and kill children in practice. And that's the task of any deluded soul still caught in the fatal grip of Rome and its blasphemous illusions and depravities. As America's founding father said, we hold this truth to be self-evident. And one of those men, the second U.S. president, John Adams, said, quote, a free government and the Roman Catholic religion can never exist together in any nation or country. Liberty and popery are opposed, unquote. The nature of an ancient corporate evil like the Church of Rome does not change over time. It simply alters its appearance because it comes out of the dark ruler of this world, the one whom Jesus said, He is a lie from the beginning, for he is the father of lies. Satan. It's a good thing to free ourselves from a lie as huge as Roman Catholicism and as criminal. As freeborn men and women, we are made for the truth, and when we recognize it, our hearts and our minds breathe freely and we return to our natural sense of liberty and independence. From that place of freedom, we are empowered to take action to stop criminals in every high place, whether they be popes or presidents or prime ministers. For we, the people, are the source of all sovereignty, of government, of law, and of religion. We can and must stop and arrest and confine child-raping priests when the police and courts refuse to do so. We can and must shut down the churches that traffic children and have hidden their crimes over centuries, like the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church of England, the United Church of Canada, all of these criminal bodies. For the life of one child is more sacred than all the fanfare and rituals of any church anywhere. Well, Jesus had his own prescription for child killers. He said, Whoever would harm one of these innocent ones should have a millstone placed around his neck and be thrown into the sea. Well, I wonder what Jesus would say about an entire institution that mocks God, murders with impunity, rapes and murders children, and protects those who do so. Is there a millstone that is big enough to sink such an institution? Yes, there is. It is we the people. I thank you. And we're back. Well, two things I want to add. Uh, two actual books that you should get to fill out your knowledge. There's a practical book called Dethroning a Rogue Power. It's something I wrote a few years ago when people at the UN asked me to do so. And it's why the Vatican must be denied membership and presence at the UN and in the world community. Now, I hear what you're saying you're, or thinking. You're probably saying, well, the UN, they're corrupt to the core. Why even talk to them? True enough at the high level, but like in any institution or corporation, there's people at all sorts of levels. And in fact, we've had incredible information provided 
from people in the UN, uh, especially indigenous delegates. And they asked that I write this book. It contains all of the arguments for how the Vatican weaseled its way into the UN. It's not even um, legal for them to be sitting there in the UN uh, with observer voting status. Uh, they're not a government. They're not a state under international law. And they basically invited themselves in in 1966. And Catholic politicians like Joe Biden, who was just over the other month fawning over Bergoglio in Rome, really grounds for immediate um, impeachment because he violated his, his oath of office by doing that. Such a thing as separation of church and state. Remember there, Joe? Um, but we're not saying that on a party basis, because both parties are part of the corporatocracy. But it's a reality that Catholic politicians continually help this criminality. And um, so that book prepares you with the arguments, and I urge you to order Dethroning a Rogue Power. Just go on Amazon, put my name in, Kevin Annett, or you can see it at murderbydecree.com. A lot of my books are listed there. The second book is a more spiritual work that I wrote in the company of a group called the Covenanters, and they formed in 2015, the same time of the Republic. It's basically a group of Christians who aren't really Christians. They left the churches because they know how irredeemably corrupt they are. And they want to set up a Christ-based congregational church in their own communities without hierarchy. In, a, in essence, a New Testament church, like the kind Jesus created around himself. It's called Here We Stand, Summoning God's People in the Time of Judgment. And uh, you can also get that on Amazon. It really contain, contains a lot of the uh, spiritual perspective and biblical-based perspective on why people need to leave that false church and really why it uh, it represents, in in a basic sense, Satan on Earth. And I don't say that lightly. It's interesting that every major Protestant church in the world, traditionally, their policy said that the Church of Rome is Antichrist. Now, they weren't talking about a man, because you notice in the Bible, when you read it, when they refer to uh, Satan, it's not as an individual. It's The Antichrist is seen as a place, the seven hills of Rome. And you see that in the book of Revelation. Um, and so the Anglicans, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, all of the mainstream churches now, Protestant churches, their position was all that the Catholic Church is Antichrist. It's posing, having a man pose as the head of the Church, rather than Christ himself. Now, of course, the Anglicans say the same thing. They say the King is the head of the Church. They're kind of like uh, wannabe Catholics in that sense. Both the Anglicans and the Catholics are part of that whole idolatrous representation. Um, but, and that's not surprisingly, they led the whole residential school genocide. But, Anyway, those are some of the arguments in that book as well. I really urge you to get that as well. And it's part of our whole recognition that not only is the corporatocracy based on the whole tradition and teachings of the Roman Catholic Church, and is being funded now out of Rome, but to really begin to engage in spiritual warfare, it really means pulling back the appearances, seeing beyond and behind the appearances. And... Um, you know, I remember there was this movie, uh, I don't know if you saw it, science fiction movie called Pitch Black. And it was, took place, these astronauts are on a planet where the sun only appears briefly over every seven years. And this guy is walking through this dark landscape and he lights a, 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 a torch. 
And all of a sudden, all around him, there's all these monsters waiting to eat him. But they were really, they were right there the whole time, and he didn't realize it. Now, that's really our situation. When the light of awareness goes on, or any of this evidence, when you realize what you're in, and the monsters all around you resign at the highest levels of power, literally child-killing monsters, when you realize that's going on, you can do one of two things. You can flick out the light and put your head in the sand like an ostrich and pretend it's not there and then proceed to get eaten by those things all around you. Or you can hold that inner light higher. And I'm talking about the inner light as well as the outer light. And you can see what you're up against so you can fight it even more effectively. That's what we try to do on this. We try to trigger both the inner and the outer light and sight so we can see it. Now, remembering, as we've talked about earlier in the show, remembering where we've come from and what we've achieved, that's part of that. But it doesn't by itself, mere remembrance by itself doesn't work unless you have the resolve and the courage to go where you once never dared to go, encouraged by the example of others and our own change. And um, and so, you know, again, I want to remind you of that image of that little boy, Kenny, and his arm reaching out of the ground. The dead still call to us because they're still being killed. Young children constantly being killed by this machine. We see it now with the COVID tyranny. And it's really time to act in a fundamental way. But here's the dilemma when we start doing that. And I see this all over the place. And Georgina Cameron herself witnessed it in Australia. Why was it only her who had the courage, even though she was on crutches, she had the courage by herself to go into the church. Where was everybody else? Where are all of these movements? Whenever you mention taking on the church as a source of genocide, most people back off, even the so-called awakened and enlightened ones. They're frightened to do it. And not only are they ignorant, but they're, they're afraid to take on this murderous institution. And, you know, one of the, the, I want to explore that because it isn't just a matter of fear. It's people's minds and essences being controlled by something. And um, there's an interesting passage, I find, in, the, uh, in Judges, chapter 10, verse 16. And get this, it says, And although the people put away their false idols, God's soul grieved over the misery of his people. Now, the word in Hebrew, grieved, is a word called nepesh. And what nepesh means is to be diminished, to be cut down, to be made less than who you are. So that amazing passage said God is diminished by the diminishing of his, the people around him. His people, who we trusted in, or her, <laughs> the people that God trusted in, and which were to carry his mission on earth, their diminishing causes God to diminish, because we're in that constant organic relationship with the fish swimming in water. If you don't want to use the word God, the source of all, we're in a constant in a relationship with it. And when we act less than who we are, the possibility for justice and change in the world diminishes. So this, this word nepesh, it means the very substance and soul of God is reduced when his people are. And when both heaven and earth are diminished enough, there's no way back. People can become so less than who we are that our very humanity vanishes, along with any possibility of truth or justice or even love. And we're left in an inescapable hell. I remember that line from the movie Platoon, hell is the impossibility of reason. Well, it's all also a trap. Once people are diminished in their morality and their, their consciousness enough, it's game over. And um, you just look around now, and that seems to be where we're heading. People do not respond anymore because they've been diminished inside. And I see this all the time. I remember when I was growing up 30, 40 years ago, 
the level of awareness, political, uh, you know, astuteness, compassion, outrage, willingness to respond and go attack the, you know, the wrong directly, all of that is, compared to now, there's no comparison. I mean, even the most ignorant person back then knew a hell of a lot more than the Internet generation does. And I don't say that in a contemptuous way. I'm saying it is a thing I experience all the time. We have had not only our minds and consciousness diminished, but our very heart and essence. And that should shock a lot of us to realize that perhaps there's no way out of that. Perhaps we're on that long slide down, and we're not meant to recover from this. Maybe our time is over. But before we go down, we have the ability to fight back, draw a line, and say, no, we will not be diminished. We will die rather than be diminished another ounce. And the way we're diminished is by participating every day in the society. And I don't mean just in the material ways, but identifying with it, looking to it, thinking that we have a future in the way things are right now, which we don't. It's coming down, and the more we have invested in the society, the more we're going to go down when it goes down. That's why, you know, the, the spirit behind what we, what we do when we say we're setting up assemblies and, and we're being self-governing, it isn't just political and personal self-governance. It's spiritual self-governance. It's finding that autonomy first, and that lay in the heart of the American tradition. Because the reason the Constitution came about and the American Republic, for the first time in history where there were no sovereigns except the people and, and their laws, that happened because of the earliest Puritan communities that were self-governing. They said, no king, no pope, we're coming to America to establish a city on the hill. God's chosen people where God alone is sovereign, God alone is the law. And that, out of that came the American Republic. Without that spiritual foundation, we can't build anything in the world. And that's why more and more we're going to be talking about that within our assemblies and that how do we establish that parallel movement, if you like, that spiritual movement alongside, as the covenanters, covenanters have pioneered with this book, Here We Stand, and in their whole movement. How do we create that, that the spiritual and the political feeding each other all the time, rather than being hostile? So that's really uh, part of the challenge of the coming years. And it's in your hands. Those of you who are a lot younger than me, it's in your hands. And people like me now are passing on these lessons and messages. And that fire and that determination not to go and become part of the dead machine, which is the literal plan of the COVID corporatocracy, to integrate your neurons into one big machine. And it's already happened to a large degree. People can't think outside the Internet. Integrate you so you're literally part of a machine. You're a Borg, like in the Star Trek science fiction movies. You're part of a one machine. That's a living death. I refuse to be part of My children refuse to be part of it. All the people we know refuse to be, and we will not be. We will die rather than become part of that. But we still have the ability to fight it, to pull back now, to pull out. And this is the urgency of what we're talking about. And so that is... The, the, the spirit behind what we do right now, there's more to it, of course, but like I say, contact us. Don't just sit there and passively consume this. Write to us, Republic National Council at ProtonMail.com. You can write to me personally, Kevin Annett at AngelFire101 at ProtonMail.com. And there's a, another book I just I, I want to mention, of course, I mentioned it on the last show, but it's called A Tale of Two Brothers. And I'm getting more and more personal all the time in these uh, books I'm writing, but it's about my brother Bill and I, and we're kind of polar opposites in many ways, but it's about two brothers, uh, one of whom is a corporate executive, another is kind of a 
down-and-out freedom fighter, and about the reality of what goes on in both their worlds, including in my brother's world, his ties with a water company that really was an entry point for China in the British Columbia back in the 1990s. The corruption of politicians, the inside trading, the, the killing of judges who looked into their crime. All of that is, is described in this book, a Tale of Two Brothers. So I hope you get it. Uh, again, just go to Amazon, put in my name, Kevin Annett. And again, to remind you, our, um, the next two shows, January 8th and 15th, we're going to be talking about the nuts and bolts of what the Republic of Canada looks like, not just for ourselves in the former territory, the Dominion of Canada, but that is now Canada under law. But it's a model for people all over the world in our Republic Alliance movement in nine countries now, in Europe and Australia and Asia, as well as North America. We are using that as a model for people to set up their own sovereign republics. And it's really exciting talking to these folks. I do these regular Zoom calls with them. And in a place like France, they've already set up parallel government. They're getting police and others to opt out, doctors and others to leave it, like in Canada, where we set up alternative health care systems, alternative schools run by the, the, the people themselves for their children and with their children, and our own land base, where we have farmers working with us to create the food base outside the cities, which are death traps more and more. Part of the Agenda 2030 is to get people all urbanized and cut off from their land base. We're fighting that. We're building up the resistance to that constantly with working alternatives. So we're going to be talking about that over the next two shows, January 8th, January 15th, and, of course, the uh, flag raising and others, which are always fun to do. We, we often go into courthouses um, and, and other places, lawfully occupy them, which we can do as people who have paid for them. And we raise the flag, and we do group uh, pledges to the Republic. People take the oath of allegiance to nullify any allegiance to the Crown of England and to the Government of Canada and its laws, and taking the pledge to the Republic of Canada, its laws and its lawful national jurisdiction. And I tell you, on protests and other places, I've shown my citizenship card to police. Not only do they back off and never hassle us, but I then educate them. And I say, look, you've got to disavow your oath of allegiance to that idiot on the throne who has blood on his hands. There is no sovereign under the law. The people are sovereign. And the source of all sovereignty is in God and in the divinity within all of us. That sovereignty, no one, whether a pope or a king or anyone, can claim to be a sovereign over people. That's feudal tyranny. And it's time to end it once and for all because it's killing all of us with this COVID corporatocracy. Like Abraham Lincoln said, we are now engaged in a great civil war testing whether such a nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. And that is exactly our challenge. So I urge you all to get on board with this, and um, we're going to end on a wonderful song, which I know will continue to inspire. And again, write to us, Republic National Council at ProtonMail.com, MurderByDecree.com, RepublicOfCanada.org. Until next week, stay strong, stay clear, long live our eternal republic. I thank you. All right, this is the last thing you're going to hear tonight. It's a happy song, but it's um, got it's complicated words, so just listen really hard. 
Fuck the motherfucker, fuck the motherfucker, fuck the motherfucker, he's a fucking motherfucker. Fuck the motherfucker, fuck the motherfucker, fuck the motherfucker, he's a total motherfucker. Fuck the motherfucker, fuck the motherfucker, fuck the motherfucker, fuck him, fuck the motherfucker. Fuck the motherfucker, fuck the motherfucking Pope. Fuck the motherfucker and fuck you motherfucker if you think that motherfucker is sacred. If you cover for another motherfucker who's a kitty fucker, fuck you, you're no better than the motherfucking rapist. And if you don't like the swearing, this motherfucker forced from me and reckon it shows moral or intellectual paucity, then fuck you motherfucker. This is language one employs when one is fucking pissed at motherfuckers fucking boys. I don't give a fuck if calling the Pope a motherfucker means you unthinkingly brand me an unthinking apostate. This has now to do with other fucking godly motherfuckers. I'm not interested right now in Theological debate. There are other fucking songs and there are other fucking ways. I'll be a religious apologist on other fucking days. But the fact remains, if you protect a single kitty fucker, then Pope or Prince or Plumber, you're a fucking motherfucker. And I don't give a fuck what any other motherfucker believes about Jesus and his motherfucking mother. I have no problem with the spiritual beliefs of other fuckers, while those beliefs don't impact on the happiness of others. But if you build a church on claims of fucking moral authority and with threats of hell impose it on others in society, then you, you motherfucker, can expect some fucking. Wrath, but it turns out you've been fucking us in our motherfucking asses. So fuck the motherfucker and fuck you, motherfucker, if you're still a motherfucking papist. If you covered for a single motherfucker who's a kitty fucker, fuck him, he's as evil as the motherfucking rapist. And if you look into your motherfucking heart and tell me true, if this motherfucking stupid fucking song offended you with its filthy fucking language and its fucking disrespect, if it made you feel angry, go ahead and write a letter. But if you find me more offensive than the possibility, the Pope protects priests when they were getting fucking fiddly then listen to me motherfucker this here is a fact you are just as morally misguided as that motherfucking power hungry self-aggrandized bigot in the stupid fucking hat <laughs>